Hello and welcome to the Citizen Femme podcast, the show where we delve deep into the journeys of 12 inspirational people. In this episode, I am joined by the wonderful Lalita Chakrabarti. Lalita, welcome. I am so, so delighted to have you with us. I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Thank you very much, Sheena. Um, Hello, everyone. I'm Lolita Chakrabarti. I'm an actor and a writer. I've been working for over 30 years uh, and I've been on stage and screen and I write for mainly for stage at the moment. Fantastic. So we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, Lolita. When you were a child, (laughs) tell me, what did you dream of becoming? Was this always kind of in the stars? Uh, I think I always wanted to be an actor. Yeah, I didn't know the name for it and I didn't know what drama was, but I can vividly remember being six at primary school doing a uh, an assembly at school and getting that sort of light switch moment where we did this assembly and I was playing this old lady and it was about friendship. So we were all put in groups of three and we had to have a, a little skit that describes friendship. So I was with these two boys and they decided to knock me over as an old lady with my shopping. And then they, they came back and helped me pick it up. That was our little, that was our story. Um, and, uh, I re I, I did it and I loved it. And the teacher put me through all the stories because it must have been hilarious, right? This six year old <laughs> being an old lady going, Oh, my shopping. Um, and so I got put through the whole assembly and, um, I remember thinking, Oh, this is good. I don't know what this is, but it's good. So once I found out that it was drama and acting, which was when I was about 12, I thought that's what I want to do. Isn't that great to find that out so early when people don't discover it their whole lives often to kind of go, this is what I'm going to do and just and go for it? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it does feel uh, vocational in many ways. And when I speak to other actors, it's the same, you know, that, that feeling of um, need, of just understanding it. When you find it, you understand what it is and you want, you want to be part of it. Yeah. So you grew up in Birmingham, um, and since knowing that, or even before, theatre, cinema trips, all of that, was that a big part of your growing up and childhood, and would you, or would you make that a part of it? Um, it wasn't, no. Uh, my family were not uh, theatre or cinema people, so I would go to the cinema. When, when the next big film was out, I remember going to see Grease, that's how old I am, and, um, and maybe one of the first Star Wars films, I went to see that at the Odeon. But no, it wasn't something that you easily did. And theatre, no, school took me to theatre. So when I was, uh, I'd say, yeah, I was 13, that was the first time I went to the theatre when school took me to the Midlands Arts Centre, which is an amazing place, actually. It, it, I saw so many shows at the Midlands Arts Centre. And the first play I saw was um, called, I think it was called The Walking Class, and it was a Birmingham Youth Theatre show. And there was a young actor in that called Adrian Lester, and he was 14. And I had to write, I, I went with my drama class and they, um, we had to write a review, you know, for our class. And uh, so I had to write a review of this play um, and I did give him a good review. <laughs> so funny how things turn out, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, I got a shiver. That's so wonderful. How romantic. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time he was just this gawky kid in the Birmingham yeah. Youth Theatre, um, you know, and I was this awkward girl from the convent up the road. But uh, it's funny how things work out. And then, of course, after that, again, it was one of those moments. I thought, gosh, what's this? I love this. What is it? And then I could not get enough of theatre. 
I joined uh, Birmingham Rep. You could see everything with a student card for a pound. I saw absolutely everything. The RSC were up the road. I used to go and see um, loads of Shakespeare plays all the time. I mean, I just was hungry for it. Oh, that's spectacular. That's wonderful. And so then you attended RADA, which of course is, I mean, the epitome of acting schools um, around the world, certainly. Tell us about that experience and why did you choose RADA as your place of study? Well, I think RADA chose me, to be honest. I was I was going to go to university um, and I hadn't, I, although I knew I wanted to be an actor, I didn't think I'd ever get into drama school. I didn't even know what drama school was, to be honest. Um, so I just thought I'll go to university, I'll study drama, maybe English, and then I'll find my way after that. But I had this amazing drama teacher called Miss Stack, um, who passed away a couple of years ago, Maureen Stack. And she said to me, listen, she said, just have a go, have a go at RADA. And then you just try it, see what it is. And, um, and then you can just think you've done it and move on. And I thought, yeah, she's right. What's to lose? So I, um, I auditioned for RADA and it was the only drama school I auditioned for. Um, and from the moment of the first audition, I thought, oh my God, you can do drama all day, every day. I mean, they they had, you know, movement. Even the audition was a sort of small taste of what the college would be. So there was movement and voice and um, uh, sort of improvisation and acting and all sorts of kind of little elements of, of the training. And I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, you can break this down into a proper art. Um and I, I really wanted to go. And luckily, luckily, I, I got a place. Luckily, and of course, talent driven. So that's fantastic. <laughs> wow. um, so we're going to talk about some of the plays and, and, and all of that. But alongside your acting, you're, an, you're a writer as well. Was that always an interest from mm-hmm. the beginning? Or was that something more recent? I think you can look back and uh, join the dots, can't you? So now I look back. And actually, I started writing when I was at school. So when I was at school, I used to do public speaking competitions and um, I used to write speeches uh, and I did really well. I used to win, we used to win national competitions and all sorts of things. So I did loads of public speaking competitions. Um, so I wrote those speeches, which is a really, you know, five minute speeches, beginning, middle and end, an argument that goes through, entertain while you do it. Um, and then when I was at RADA, I didn't, I wasn't consciously writing, But my last play, so uh, for those who don't know, when you go to drama school, you have, uh, you you do public performances, but directors and casting directors, producers are invited to come and see you. So they're quite important, these shows that you do in your second and third year. And my my final show at RADA, uh, it was a terrible play. Oh my God, it was terrible. And there were four of us, four actresses in it. And we were really appalled that this was our final offering because it didn't show any of us off very well. It was not very well written. Um, And so I, but we were stuck with it. We'd been cast, you know. So I went home every day and I rewrote the scenes. And I'd never, I mean, this this is an indication of A, either I'm arrogant or I'm stupid. I'm not sure which one. But I just thought, I'm not doing this. This is not good enough. I'm rewriting the scenes. So I went home and I rewrote the scenes and I'd bring them in. And and it this was like the early computer. So it was a daisy wheel printer, you know, it was very slow going. Um, and I brought it in and then we'd work on the new scenes the me and the director and the other actresses. Um, and I don't know if it was that much better, but we did do my version of the play. And uh, so it's funny, but I would never have called that writing at the time. At the time I would have called it a sort of rescue job. Um, and then I started writing properly about five or six years out of college because I, um, you know, I did quite well, but no matter how much you work, 
you still have gaps between the jobs. And I was very restless between the jobs. I thought, I need to do something. I can't just, I don't know, wait for the next job. Um, And so I thought, well, let me try something creative and let me try writing and see if I can do it. So that's how I began. Fantastic. So we'll talk about some of the writing um, in a bit, but I want to talk about the acting stuff. Now, we met doing a play called The Great Game, which we've mentioned before this. It was what seems like an eternity (laughs) ago, but 11 years ago. Tell me about some of your favourite productions that you were in as an actor. Well, that's a hard question. (laughs) Um, Isn't that a hard question? Because they're all so different and of themselves, and some of them have fabulous moments some of them have terrible moments but you learned a lot from them I mean my second job I um I out of drama school so I was probably 22 I was cast as Hippolyta in a Midsummer Night's Dream at the National Theatre and the director was Robert Lepage and I didn't know who that was um but I thought oh great this sounds great and once I got the job people were going oh my god how did you get into that production because Robert Lepage is this uh, phenomenal Canadian director, visionary person, who combines uh, not tricks of the eye, he he just sort of does a, a complete production. I can't explain it. It's visually sumptuous. So to give an example, in this Midsummer Night's Dream, Puck was played by a contortionist from Cirque du Soleil. So that kind of thing. He'd bring elements in and, and the whole production, Midsummer Night's Dream is normally this beautiful Um, green, lovely English countryside sort of uh, story. But he did it all in mud and water. So the Olivier stage was this giant pit of water and mud and the whole play was done in that. So that was thrilling because I was part of this amazing cast of uh, really fantastic actors and I came in as a named role. I was really young. Um, I had this gorgeous white frock that I would with a long train that I would fling out into the muddy water and glide across the stage. Um, and, and that was so exciting. Um, but other productions, you know, I was part of the bill for a couple of years and I was WPC Jamila Blake. And uh, I was uh, a uniform member of the team. And then I was seconded up to CID for, for a little while. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The first day that I was um, you know, we all did a raid. We did a raid. Every, so all the regulars of the bill were in their cars and we all were in our cars with our blues and twos going and we all descended on this house, leapt out of our um, cars. And I think um, uh, one of the actors said, right, go, go, go. And we all charged into this house. And I thought, oh my God, I'm inside the telly. I feel like I'm inside the telly on this show. Um, and I, I learned so much on the bill, so much. And I made great friends and just saw how hard people work with that kind of punishing um, schedule of three or four different episodes being filmed every week um, and how good they were. So I've, do, I, I've been very privileged. I've done a lot of really fantastic things. And then recently I was in Show Trial, which is a, um, a series on the BBC. Um, and that was just classy, detailed writing, fantastic performances by this sort of ensemble cast and all a whodunit, what happened and, and the, the sort of the buzz of it. And we, we, we filmed our sections very separately 
it was a, a, a body of a, a student was found and my character's son was implicated as well as this other character's daughter. So they were on trial. And you put together the story of what happened to this girl and her her mother's response and the police and the justice system and the parents and everybody, the lawyers. Uh, and then at the we didn't meet each other. It, you know, we were all shooting our bits separately. And then the last two days we were all in, last two weeks we were all in court. Um, and that was just really exciting because then you meet the people you've read about and and the camaraderie on those sorts of things it's 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 great it's really social but it's focused into doing good work um so I, it's hard for me to choose a good job they all sound so fantastic and so varied and like you said the camaraderie on all of them it's serious and you know portraying incredible stories but the chemistry and and on all of that between actors and, and crew and cast is fantastic yeah yeah, it's really important. It's part of the buzz of the job, actually, because in order to act, you've got to be open and free, mm. and uh, and it's 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 a it's a tricky thing. These are long days. We work really long days, don't we, Sheena? <laughs> and, uh, and you have to you sort of have to bring the goods all the time, and so it's really important that you feel comfortable in your environment. Mm. And part of the 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 sort of family feel of a set or a rehearsal room. Um, is is essential to making you feel able just to to riff and to play. Yeah, which is why it often becomes no matter how short a run or a TV or a, you know a filming or however long that process, you become family for that short yeah, period of time. Completely, completely, and and then you know you meet people uh, ten years later and you haven't seen them in between, but it's like you've seen them because exactly. it's been such a intense and yeah. particular and intimate thing. Um, it is the the world gets very small, but it's really big. It's a nice opposition. I want to ask about Red Velvet. Um, I think it was one of the most phenomenal pieces of theatre I ever saw. So um, thank you for that gift. It was just brilliant. Um, you won awards for it. Uh, it was about the nineteenth century African American actor Ira Aldridge. What was the catalyst that led to that creation and, and creating that? And of course, Adrian was in that as well. I'm so glad you liked it. Thank you. Um, it was so. Adrian did a reading about at a theatre festival in Brighton in 1998, and uh, it was just a sort of two day thing. And he came back and said, "Have you heard of this guy, Ira Aldridge?" And of course, I hadn't. And uh, he told me the reading was a sort of uh, a kind of discussion of a biography that had been written about him, and. Uh, and he told me about this African-American actor who'd come to Britain in, 19, um, in 1824, had played Othello at the Theatre Royal Covent Garden in 1833, had a huge career across Europe, was knighted and awarded and, you know, was it had met people like the Tolstoys, Hans Christian Andersen, was linked in, indirectly to Stanislavski, you know, had this huge sprawling international career. Uh, and then when he had a state funeral, when he died in Poland in 1867, he was forgotten. And I was, I was like, I've never heard of him. I've done drama O level, drama A level. I've been to RADA, really prestigious drama school. Um, I've worked in the industry as an actor for almost 10 years, and I have never heard of Ira Aldridge. Um, and so I had started writing a couple of years before that, and I was looking for something to hook onto, and I just followed the trail. I followed the trail because I was fascinated by him. And as I found little details, the internet was really um, not great then. It was it, I'm sure it was doing fabulous things, but it didn't have that much information on it. So I had to go to libraries and bookshops and 
you know, I was faxing because that those were those days. I was faxing libraries in New York and Chicago and Washington and saying, "What do you have on Ira Aldridge?" Um, and I slowly pieced together this detective trail of this extraordinary life. Um, and so, I, I when I'd done this research for about three years, and I was acting all the time, so I was doing it on the side, and um, I. I realized it was such a big story that I think it's a film and um, I didn't feel able to write a film. I did a treatment, but it wasn't, it it wasn't a film really. Uh, So I put it away. I put the whole thing away and thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it. And it sat in a box for a few years, knocking in my brain. Every time people would send me little tidbits that they'd found in a, in a pamphlet or a booklet or a history book or an encyclopedia. And they'd send me little bits because they knew I was looking up Ira Aldridge um, and then um, somebody suggested to me to write the play. So that's what I did. And it was first at the then Tricycle, now Kiln, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. In 2012, we did it uh, at the Tricycle. It was the first play in Indy Ribbissingham's um, artistic directorship. So she opened her um, her stewardship with Red Velvet and... Um, you know, the play had been knocking around for quite a long time and had been uh, rejected from a lot of other places. Um, so I, I was, I was thinking, well, you know, I'm f- thrilled that it's getting done, but I, I wasn't holding out uh, great expectation for it. I thought this delivers what I need to say, and here we go. And actually, it was re- received uh, amazingly and started a whole discussion. It started a whole discussion about history and how we tell our history and theatre and what kind of angle we're looking at the world with. Um, And it brought Ira Aldridge out of his box. And it made me extremely proud when, you know, a few years down the line, Ira Aldridge is now referenced in the Arden version of, um, um, uh, what do you call it, the Arden foreword of Othello. Uh, he was represented, yeah, it's extraordinary. He was represented in, at the British um, uh, Library, did an exhibition of 10 great Shakespearean, uh, not actors, but performers. So like Peter Brook was marked and David Garrick was marked, but Ira Aldridge was marked and they invited me to come and see it. And there was, you know, some of the sort of uh, playbills and images and things of him. And they said it's because they saw Red Velvet. And so it, it, there was this huge um, uh, swathe of people who were Ira Aldridge supporters before me. So it's not my work alone, but I think the play allowed people to re-engage with him on a particular level, actually, to meet him rather than to read an academic book or an academic study. And in meeting him in reference to who we are now and theatre now, uh, it ignited a whole conversation. And so now it's studied. It's studied for A-level and O-level and people are writing about it in their degrees. And it's thrilling to me because it's not about the play. It's about Ira Aldridge. It's really thrilling. I feel like, oh, whatever it was that hooked me in 1998 um, and said, follow this trail, um, I've I've delivered it. I had a real responsibility to him and I can't really explain it, but it um, I feel he feels like a member of my family. He's obviously not, <laughs> but he feels like Well, that. it's a tremendous achievement to have that kind of impact because, you know, you tell stories and people leave with an emotion after watching something. But to have that kind of impact and bringing a name from history, so people, future generations, learn about it, it's it's far and few between. It's not always managed, so that's a great achievement. Oh well, I, I feel I, I think it would have come anyway. 
but I, I feel like I'm one of the stepping stones that go to the next. And I, I fulfilled that one so that we can move on to the next one and he's marked. Um, yeah, but it is, it's thrilling. Do you find being an actor influences your writing or helps? Or Completely. Yeah, completely. I, I don't... No, I, I was going to say I don't write as a writer, but that's a lie. I do write as a writer because I am a writer. It took me a very long time to admit that I was a writer. So I wrote um, quietly and not secretly, but I didn't tell anyone other than Adrian that I was writing for about 10 years because you feel a bit of a fraudster and you speak to some really uh, like luminary writers and they all say the same. You feel like the great pretender that you, you're writing, but you haven't had anything made. Nobody's that interested, you know. Um, so I, I, I kept it quite quiet for a long time, uh, but I am definitely an actor who is writing because I write from a place of feeling and from inside what people want to say and what they're trying to say. And, um, I can't always articulate how I do it because I haven't been, uh, I haven't studied it. I've studied it with all the scripts that I've read as a, as an actor and I've read a hell of a lot of scripts and some of them are great and an awful lot of them are rubbish. And then you have to, as an actor, make the rubbish ones work because that's just how it is. Um, and then with the great ones, you have to decipher, how do I do it justice? So I've worked across the board of scripts and I feel like that's been my education. But I'm not always that articulate in saying how I how I do it. I think there's a beauty to not studying something, though. There's a certain authenticity that comes without too much structure, perhaps. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's that thing where you you feel like you you're grasping for uh, definition sometimes, but then at other times you work purely on instinct. So, I, and also because I am an actor, I trust my instincts hugely. So I think that you know when the thing with writing is you get an awful lot of notes <laughs> from all the different collaborators. You get endless endless <laughs> notes, <laughs> don't you? Yeah, I can hear you laughing with the recognition at that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. And then you have to take them on board and think, well, what is it they're trying to say? Um, and actually, often I can sort of feelingly understand what they mean. I don't always understand in, in detail, but I can feelingly understand. So, yeah, acting completely informs my writing. I wonder if it makes it harder or easier to take a note as a writer as opposed to taking a note as an actor. They're very different things, actually. Taking a note as an actor, you're delivering the vision of the director, you know, you're standing in the middle. I, f I find everybody is interpreting the writer, everybody. And when the writer isn't saying what they're trying to say clearly, then all the collaborators try and help the writer to be clear about what they're saying. So it's a very different um, sort of exchange. And as, a, as an actor, you're – what was it you said? You said – I've forgotten what you said. I've I guess the difference between taking a note as an actor or taking a note as a writer. As a writer. Yeah, it's a different standpoint. As a writer, you, you, you're you looking at the whole. And as an actor, you're looking at one one path. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So I think sometimes it's hard to understand uh, an acting note and you need to get it inside your body and work it and find it. But as a writer, it's 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 a sort of overview I don't always understand writing notes, though. And actually, if I don't understand them, if someone can't make me understand their note, I, I think, well, then it's not relevant to me. Whereas as, as an actor, if I can't understand the note, I really work to understand it because they're obviously seeing something that I'm not. Mm. 
Talking about instinct, um, you took on the challenge of adapting Life of Pi for the stage. Was that instinctive? <laughs> yes, completely, completely. I, I took that on. I read that book when it came out first in 2002 and I, I loved it as a punter. I just thought this is a fantastic book. And then when I was asked if I'd like to adapt it, um, I didn't hesitate. I had no idea how I was going to do it. Absolutely no clue. I hadn't, I'd adapted a film for the radio. That's the only thing I'd adapted before it. But I just thought, yes, yeah, absolutely. I want to do it. And then I just followed my nose, really. I, I followed what I thought was the way to find uh, my way through Jan Martel's story. And it wasn't until the first preview, like people would say, everyone I met has a relationship to this book. Everyone has either read it, um, has it on the shelf, seen the film, means to read it, knows the story, you know, how are you going to do the tiger? Everybody had a relationship to this book. And it didn't scare me until the first preview when I, I, I sat there thinking, who the hell do I think I am to be able to adapt this book? And I'm so glad I wasn't frightened till then. Because fear has no place in it. You just have to jump in and do it. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's on at the moment. It is. It's at Wyndham's Theatre in London's glittering West End. And we're booking until May That's at the moment. Um, we've mentioned Adrian a few times and, of course, your encounter when you were a teenager. So you've worked together on a number of projects. How do you find working with your partner or, you know, just being in the same field as your partner? Being in the same field is fantastic. Uh, I meet lots of people who go, oh, I'd never be with an actor. And they're actors themselves, you know, because there's this um, sense of being very self-concerned and um, not being able to look beyond yourself at all, um, which, you know, for all of us is true in some ways. But um, I think the being able to discuss the work and the detail of the craft and aiming for quite sort of indefinable things, really, um, you know, portraying a role and emotional life and storytelling uh, is, is it's a fantastic thing to be able to speak freely with someone who knows you so well about that kind of work. Um, and we have been together a really long time. So we've been together, gosh, since RADA, so like 34 years. And um, it's been a gradual working together. So we had a theatre company when we were fresh out of drama school. Uh, we formed a profit share theatre company and did three productions, which was a real um, learning curve. It was hard. Uh, and we were in the productions uh, and we put them on at BAC in Battersea. Um, but it was that was our start. And then over the years, we've done a little bit here and a little bit there. We did a three-part documentary for um, the BBC when Romeo met Juliet. And it was two, because we're both from Birmingham, obviously, and they took two schools in Coventry one which was a, a convent school, like the school I went to, and one which was a big sprawling um, state school, which is like the one Adrian went to. And uh, with the director of the National Youth Theatre, Paul Roseby, we cast um, a, Romeo, a, a shortened Romeo and Juliet. So all the Capulets were from my school and all the Montagues were from his school. And we ran these uh, sort of acting workshops and then they put together a production at the Coventry Belgrade um, where they all met and they did the production. So we did that, which was really exciting, actually, and great fun to to be back in our sort of home area doing Shakespeare, which we both love, and working with young people. Um, and then we've done, yeah, Adrian's been in a couple of my plays. So he was in Red Velvet. He was amazing as Ira Aldridge. And we started at the Tricycle and then we went to New York and then we were in the West End. 
So that was uh, just brilliant to be doing that with somebody who's such a, uh, a sort of able, fantastic theatre animal, but who knows me, knows what I'm trying to say through the play, and I know him really well. So it really worked. And then in lockdown, we did this play, Him, which I wrote for him and uh, Danny Sapani because I wanted to write a specific piece uh, for those two actors. Uh, and again, that was a very different piece. That was about these two men in their 50s who meet for the first time at a funeral uh, and they realise that they have much more in common than, than than they ever imagined. And I wanted to write a love story between two heterosexual men. So it wasn't physical or romantic. It was about falling in love in friendship and family and um, and it was about them, and it was a. It had lots of eighties music because Danny and Adrian can both sing and move, so it had lots of um, hip hop and just music of of my youth that I could put in and that I loved. So we have we've done a fair amount, and we wrote a diary together as well, which kept track of our work over a year's period. Um, and it was very separate. You know, he he made his entries and I made mine, and then they. Well, we kind of collated it into a into a book that uh, Bloomsbury published. So we have we've done a lot of stuff now, and it's 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 good. It gets better and better because our rapport is really easy. That's really really inspiring to hear. Um, you now talking about him. You did that during lockdown. How was how was theatre during lockdown and that whole experience? It was crazy. So we started rehearsing at the, I mean, it's the fastest. So Red Velvet took me forever to write and get on and have a production of it. It took seven years. And him took a year from the moment I pitched it to the moment it was on. It was the fastest thing I've ever had made. And um, so because it was a two-hander and it was at the Almeida here in London and, um, you know, theatre was sliding right nobody could do anything the pandemic has hit the arts in the uh, in 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 the total ghoulies where where how can you have theater without people um how can you have actors on stage and and no audience how how does it work and so everybody was trying to make it happen and uh so i think that's probably why i got so fast tracked because here was a two-hander we're all at home let's do it. So I wrote like mad for the year. And we started rehearsing the Christmas of um, 2020. And we were going to come back and rehearse and, and hopefully open to a socially distanced audience. Uh, but then we locked down in January. Uh, and it was that horrible Christmas where it, everyone, it was just awful. And then I, I got COVID, uh, I, I'd say moderately, but it wasn't very nice. And Adrian got COVID and it was just awful. And then but the Almeida, Rupert Gould at the Almeida said, well, what should we do? Shall we shall we just not do it and come back or shall we try and do a live stream? And we were all like, well, we're not doing anything. We're all sat at home. Um, Aid and I were better by then. Um, so we went, let's go for it. And the Almeida were brilliant, actually. So we went back into rehearsal. Uh, we were very limited in rehearsal. It was Blanche McIntyre, the director, Adrian and Danny and myself uh, and the stage management. And we were socially distanced. Uh, the whole time, masked, uh, separate, and tested. Uh, I think we were the only company rehearsing in person at that time because everyone else had shut. Uh, and then we live streamed for seven or eight performances, I think, which was the strangest thing. You know, the, the opening night, the actors were in the uh, theatre. There were four or five cameramen and the sound team and the stage management, and it was nobody else. 
Then the creative team, we were all sat socially distanced in the bar. I don't know if there's a telly there normally, but there was a telly on the wall where we could watch the live stream. Um, but the live, because they needed the internet for the actual live stream, as was buffering. <laughs> and so as the show started, it wasn't working. So the producer, Tara, connected her, I don't know, she hotspotted or whatever it is you do, connected her her computer to the television so that we could watch it. But then it was slightly delayed because I, I guess a live stream is slightly delayed. So in the theatre, we could hear that the play was slightly ahead and then we couldn't play the sound on the image that we had so that we didn't disturb them in the theatre. So we were hearing it totally. Uh, oh, it was just, it was how to sync. I was going to say it was awful, but it was a huge privilege as well because as a first night, you're, you're like, your skin is um, very thin because as the writer, you're just like, oh my God, everybody's looking at my baby now and I don't know if it's any good. <laughs> um, so you've got that going on. But then also we had a play on and there was no applause or nothing at the end, obviously, because there was nobody in the space. And then afterwards, social media went absolutely mad. It was like, I think we had, it was extraordinary. Like the Almeida, I think, holds about 340 seats. Uh, and I think we had twelve to fourteen hundred watching every night around the world. So we had, um, you know, texts—not texts, but Instagrams or tweets from uh, from Kenya, from Australia, from America, all around Britain. Families came to watch together because they hadn't seen each other. So there was a family of I think about eight or ten people in their different homes who all got their wine and uh, bought their tickets, and they all sat and watched it together. It was an extraordinary thing. So it's a very uh, of its time. And then and then we came back when when the world opened up again. We came back live and we managed to do it for three weeks live, which was short, but uh, but really exciting to see it with an audience in place. There was I mean, that's that's just fascinating. One experience to go through. Um, but there was a there was an odd beauty to theatre during lockdown because I signed up to a bunch of theatres and and, you know, apps and all this kind of stuff where I could just watch shows from home on my laptop and it didn't have that same buzz or atmosphere, but you still got that cultural fix. Yes, yes. And and what was exciting is that we needed it. So often theatre, I think, can feel like, oh, the tickets are very expensive and I'd rather go for dinner or, you know, it feels a bit of a luxury. And actually what was interesting was you could feel the need for it to sit in a room and have a collective experience. And if we can't sit in a room, let's sit in our own room and have a collective experience. Um, and, and you still felt it. It was distant, like you say, but you would still, it was as close to theatre as we were going to get. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, with that need for that collective experience, what are your thoughts on theatre bouncing back post-COVID? Gosh, it's been uh, it's been a bumpy old ride. I mean, I I salute entirely every single theatre company and building up and down the country who have been trying and trying and succeeding, but having to deal with the infections and the isolations and the fallout of it. I mean, Life of Pi, um, we opened, we we rehearsed and we previewed and we opened. And then a few days later, we got hit by Omicron and um, four of our cast were, were ill. We were able to uh, possibly, we did one show where we, we had the the understudies and alternates and managed to do it. And then five more were ill. 
and then backstage crew went down. And so we stood down for 10 days. Um, but I mean, absolute all hail to everybody involved in our production. And I'm sure this is a reflection of every production. I mean, the actors, the creatives, the crew, the producers, the theatre staff, the the uh, box office people, the ushers, everybody has juggled in order to make it happen. So then we came back and with various uh you know, other things in place, uh, subs and deputies and understudies, um, we've managed to keep running. But there was one night I went into the theatre and there were a couple of understudies on stage and the audience still came. Extraordinarily, the audience still came. And I went to the box office to check how many um, seats we'd sold and, and it was really healthy. And I said, oh, how has it hit you? Because you don't really mix with the box office stuff. It's, I'm, I'm just the writer, you know, I'm normally with the cast. And I said, oh, how, how, how's it been with you? And they said that they were all from another show. So the, the three of them, the box office staff on our show, had obviously were obviously isolating and they were all from another show that had closed for the moment. So it was, it's been a, a, a piecemeal uh, sort of juggle. But what is extraordinary is A, that people still want it and the, the, the desire for people to keep it going. So it's been hard really yeah. hard and maybe they wanted more because you you know there's a realization of how much it's been missed yes i agree and i think in answer to your question that i think the future of theater is really healthy when we get past this um sort of the rug being pulled out from underneath us because how can productions manage it especially smaller productions that don't have the finance of a western production if somebody goes down the show's shut i mean how do you manage that you know, you still have to pay the overheads and pay the cast. Once this is under, under control, not control, but I, I read somewhere that the, it's, it's moving from a pandemic to an endemic. And once we get to there, um, I think there's going to be a huge hunger and delight in it. Outside of COVID and as, a, as an actor and a writer of colour who's been working in the industry for over 30 years, you mentioned, mm. Do you think attitudes or even opportunities have shifted? Oh, my God, exponentially. I mean, when I think back to – when I tell my kids the odd story from when I started, I mean, it sounds Victorian. It really sounds – and I know it was last century, but it really sounds like, really? Did that happen? And um, in the last three or four years, uh, the world has turned upside down, right, for good and for bad. Uh, and I think the discussions and the fury and the um, uncompromising call for change uh, has embedded itself everywhere. And in some places, you know, with Trump, I think that was just uh, deadly um, and in other areas. Um, but in terms of inclusion and representation and giving a voice to those that we haven't necessarily seen or heard or wanted to include I think it's been extraordinary yeah and my final question what type of project or projects would you like to work on next do you know with writing I've got lots of commissions now so I've I've crossed to the other side I got I I, I got to the glass ceiling and knocked really loudly a, a door appeared and uh, and I've I've walked through, so I've got some really fabulous commissions. And I, because I am still acting, I only take on commissions that I want to do. I don't take on anything that doesn't 
respond I don't respond to so I'm very excited I've got about five or six commissions that I'm really excited about but obviously I can't talk about um but with acting which is a much more last minute thing that comes a few weeks before maybe a couple of months before the job um I I've so enjoyed show trial I was in vigil as well and then show trial and show trial the character in that was so uh, had nuance and detail. I often play parts that are authority figures on TV. So it's very expositional and it's fine. You know, I'll come and tell someone the law or tell them their medical history or, or be the detective that puts the pieces together. But I, I want characters. Um, so I have written a play actually that I will be in. Uh, and that I'm really excited about because I'd like to play some good characters. Fantastic. Lolita, thank you so much. Um, Life of Pi is on until, remind me. Uh, it's May, end of May, we're booking at the moment. Brilliant. And I urge everyone to go and, and watch it. Um, I'm sure it's fabulous. I can't wait to see it. Where can we follow you on social media? Are you on social media? I am. Oh, I knew you were going to ask. I never know my names. On Twitter, I think, on Twitter, I think I'm at Lolita Chakra. And on Instagram, Oh, I think it's Lalita Jot Chakrabarti. My daughter set it up for me because I hadn't got a clue. And then she got really uh, like, oh, just give it here, mum. And then she did it. And then I didn't really log it. But I am. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. <laughs> so, so come and see me on there. And thanks, Sheena. Lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much, Lalita. And thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please do rate and review us. Catch you next time.